Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 92 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we are continuing our look at Brian Baru, the Emperor of Ireland. But first, First, I want to give a very warm welcome to any returning listeners and indeed any new listeners. If you're a new listener, at the very least, listen to our first part of Brian Baru in episode 90 as we're jumping in. And this is a part two of a three-part look at Ireland's Warrior King, which it is so exciting to be to be looking at. Uh, please do follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard uh, or over on Twitter at Fireside Bard. If you don't have social media and you want to get in touch, please do so at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. And if you really want to support the page or support the podcast, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast where you can join our ever growing list of very kind and generous benefactors. No new, ge- new patrons from this week, so I want to give another thank. Thank you to this month's three newest patrons, which is Jeff Angevine, Matthew Hill, and Andrew Hallinan. Thank you so much. The pa- beg your pardon. The Patreon is there entirely as an egalitarian model of soundness. It is there if you want to support me and the podcast, but it is totally up to yourself. I am not going to stop this podcast anytime soon. We are difficult times, folks. Difficult, another difficult week. Dublin is back in lockdown. Yes. The pubs are back open in most counties in 25 of the 26 Southern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland counties. The pubs have been able to open up again. The pubs that have been closed because they haven't been able to serve food. But Dublin for the next couple of weeks has regressed another step and now has had to close the pubs that have food. So we really are. We really are still not out of the woods at all. And I've been able to come back up now for work into the studio, into the Head Stuff Podcast Network studios, which I'm able to do in isolation, set up things myself, and we're very good at uh, sanitizing. We change our mic covers, we wipe everything down, uh, which is good. It's good to keep keep vigilant about it, but it just continues to show. Like, I even know some live artists and some some people who are back doing live gigs and things like that, and it clearly was too much too soon. And I always, I always admire people so much who have any kind of get up and go, and there always is something you can do. But it obviously was too much for for live entertainment yet. So the arts, as 
keep saying now, last, last, or first to close and it will be the last to reopen. So it makes me so grateful to every day to have this podcast and to be able to continue to record it at, and release it at full capacity, knowing that it is being listened to and it being appreciated at this time. So the Patreon has never been more appreciated, but as always, is just there and is up to yourselves, folks. Yes, good. Some good that came from this week. I mentioned briefly when I was recording last week's episode that I was very kindly offered to take over the curatorship of the Mother Folklore Twitter page for the week, which I'm on the last day of now. So the episode, this episode will come out the week next week. So it'll have been already a week by the time I did. But basically, I took it on as a challenge because Mother Folklore has a very large following. It's the Irish language podcast, uh, which was one of the very first podcasts. It was the first podcast on Headstuff I listened to and made me want to make work with Headstuff. And I continue to be a fan of it to this day. And so to be asked to curate there, basically they offered me to take over their Twitter account for a week and to plug myself on the podcast as much as I wanted. And they have quite a large following. They'd have a lot of crossover listeners with us, I'm sure. But I also I also know that they have a larger and and very different audience as well that maybe didn't know Fireside at all. So they... So basically, I started from the mythological cycle and in tweet form, I made my way through the four cycles of Irish mythology, tagging the episodes of Fireside along the way. Couldn't do any of the folklore, and of course I won't get to any more recent stuff, the Oscar Wilde stuff or our Norse invasion, but I just wanted to try and in my head to narrate the four cycles of Irish mythology in order in bite-sized, Twitter-sized chunks. And I am on the last day now, and I'm on the Ulster cycle. It has nearly killed me. It's taken a couple of hours each day, but it has been so beneficial because I can see ticking over from the Instagram and the Twitter page, like the followers have been going up and I've been getting lovely retweets and comments and people really responding to it and people tagging other people in the threads and all. So it really seems to have had some impact, which is great. But it's been really useful for me just in my head because now that there's nearly 100 episodes the brain can only fit so many stories in it. And so it's been really nice looking back over old episodes of Fireside and dipping back into stories that maybe I did nearly two years ago now that the details of were a little more blurry. So it's been really nice to reread them and to get consolidated through line through the very contradictory and vague nature of Irish mythology. So that was hugely useful. And thank you so much to Derek and Brian and to all the folks at Mother Folklore. It's been a pleasure. And I, I hope that I can come on your show soon, that we find something we can talk about, uh, which would be fantastic. I would love that so much. So this week's story. Yes, we continue part two of Brian Baru, which is, again, it's so strange that we're here. Episode 92, which is the year I was born in, 1992. Yes, late November, so a couple of months till my birthday now. And this is why it's interesting being in the 90s series of podcasts, is that each I, I start to now remember each of these years. That's, that's what it starts to get like. So up to this point, uh, last time we did Brian Boru, we had his, his birth, his uh, hearing about his father and his brothers. He was the youngest of 12. 
and at this point Brian has just been made king of Munster so if you haven't listened to it or you need a refresher go back to episode 90 and listen to the first part but we'll talk a bit more after this is part two of Brian Baru on Fireside Brian Baru the Emperor of Ireland Brian McKennetig had secured and consolidated his role as the King of Munster. But once his native province was all wrapped up, Brian set his sights on further expansion. He sought the role of the High King of Ireland, which at that time was held by Male Shocknell MacDonnell, who was the direct descendant of Male Shocknell MacRooney, who had defeated Turgays, the first Viking King of Dublin. Male Shocknell II, or Male Shocknell Moore, in turn, would consolidate his rule by the defeat of King Olaf Curran at the Battle of Tara in 997. Brian's family had a strong claim to the throne of Munster, but everything Brian had won had been won by the sword. If he was going to gain control of the country, he would have to use other strategies other than warfare. Brian would have to get political and Ireland's warrior king proved more than up to the task of statecraft. Brian's first wife was named Moore, and she had been a daughter of a king of Connacht. With her, Brian had five children, his daughters Sive and Blonnit, and his sons Murky, Hunkabar, and Flan. Brian had slain the former monster king Mael Muid MacBrain at the Battle of Belachlachlan, Mael Muad, in turn, had assassinated Brian's brother and the king of the Dal Kesh, Mathgomen. But now Mael Muad's son, Cian, was leader of his deposed people. Rather than continue the bloodshed, Brian instead offered King Cian the hand of marriage of his eldest daughter, Scythe. The two were married barely a year after Brian had killed Cian's father. King Cian really would not have had much choice in this union. Brian was offering him peace and the opportunity to rule in his stead. If he had refused, it could have been war. In Irish law at the time, it was legal for a king to take more than one wife. Here, Brian entered into his second marriage with a woman named Ekrath. Her father was a king of Meath, outside of Brian's governing. This was another political union in the expansion of Brian's power. Nevertheless, with Ekrad, Brian had another three children, daughter Emer and sons Taig and Dunka. With his large family and rising empire, Brian built a mansion in his hometown of Kilcora, the seat of the kings of Tomond. This would be the seat of the king's power. With his new union, Brian moved into Meath and into the southeastern province of Leinster. This is where he began to come into direct conflict with the High King, Mael Shocknell MacDonnell. The next five years were spent fighting skirmishes with Mael Shocknell, but Brian also had to deal with further problems in his own province the remnants of the deposed Oanacht dynasty, and the Vikings of Waterford, who sought revenge for Brian's burning of the city of Limerick. 
While Brian was busy fighting the Norsemen, Mel Shocknell went to Brian's house in Kilcora. Outside Kilcora lay Mach Adder, the ancestral inauguration site of the kings of Tomond. Mac Other had been there since the Tour de Danon had driven the Fearbolog west of the River Shannon. The Fearbolog were given the province of Connacht, and Brian and all the Dalcassians were descended from those same bagmen. But in Mac Other, there was a sacred oak tree. In defiance of Brian, male Shocknell invaded and chopped down the sacred oak. By this point, the Irish had long converted to Christianity, but they still very much held on to their pagan customs. The very role of High King was an institution of the Toa de Danum. The chopping down of the sacred tree was a terrible insult to everything Brian was and stood for. It reminds us of Yggdrasil, the sacred ash of the Norsemen, it is said that when the end of times, Ragnarok, begins, Yggdrasil will be cut down. The chopping down of the Irish sacred oak was Ragnarok for Ireland's high king. But Brian learned more and more the older he got the importance of politics. And for a time, even after the great insult of Machadar, he was able to make peace with male Shocknell. Brian was given rule of Leinster, with male Shocknell keeping rule of Meath, Connacht and Ulster. It is here Brian began to be called High King too. This union would prove essential for Brian to overcome his greatest opposition yet. In the year 999, male Morda was King of Leinster. His sister, Gormfla, was mother to the Norse king of Dublin, Sigtrig Silkbeard. It is evidence of how much the Norse had integrated that Sigtrig's mother and uncle were both Irish, but a sign of the Norse resilience that the Christian king still considers himself very much a Norseman. Dublin was the most important city in the Viking Empire for a time, it lay geographically in such a unique vantage point in the centre of the Viking world. It had been lost and won in the 160 years since its founding, but Dublin still remained very much a Norse city. And no rule of Ireland would be complete without controlling the future capital. With a union declared and Brian given control of Leinster, Mailmortha and Citric Silkbeard declared open rebellion. They met the united forces of Brian and Mail Shocknell at the Battle of Glenmama. It was a crucial and decisive victory for Brian. Mail Morda was forced to flee, and Dublin was descended upon. Like he had with the other great Viking city of Limerick, Brian set about the burning, sacking, and looting of Dublin. And it is here that the political alliances get even more incestuous and incredible. Brian took as his third wife, Gormfla, mother of the Norse king of Dublin, Citric Silkbeard, and sister of the now deposed king of Leinster, Maelmorda. It seemed that Gormfla was never too happy with this union, and her rebellion against Brian was far from over. Brian also married his daughter, Emer, to Citric Silkbeard, 
and allowed the young Norse insurgent to remain the figurehead king of Dublin. But it was Brian who was really in charge. Finally, Brian had one more loose end to tie up. He had defeated the Norse and the Leinster men with the help of male Shocknell, but there could be only one true High King of Ireland. So Brian next set his eyes on Tara. Male Shocknell knew his forces were no match for the ever-growing armies of Brian. He asked his rival Irish king for time to muster his armies. Astonishingly, and in most chivalrous form, Brian agreed. But a month later, Male Shocknell was no closer to an army, and finally surrendered. Brian was finally the unquestioned High King of Ireland. Brian thought the Roman Empire was the pinnacle of high civilization. The Holy Roman Empire had inherited this mantle, but at the time of Brian's ascension, the Holy Roman Empire was on the verge of being snuffed out. Brian saw it his duty to raise his people to the lofty ranks of high civilization. He began to build roads and churches and a new Irish Christian empire. This would be expensive and would be paid by heavy taxation to this new Emperor of Ireland. Brian demanded tributes of cattle, pigs and wine from all his subjugated chieftains, whether they be Norse, Irish or Hiberno-Norse. It is this partiality for cattle that earned him the nickname Baruma, Brian of the Cattle Tributes, or Brian Baru. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. Character actor is a supporting actor who specialises in playing unusual, interesting or eccentric characters. For whatever reason, these performers are less concerned with being stars. Because of that, they often take supporting roles in big movies or only play leads in indie films or TV. They're less concerned with their image. They can bounce between heroes or villains. They're chameleons and they often disappear into each role. So you might know their faces, but you might not know the names. So subscribe to us wherever you keep subscribed for podcasts and be on the lookout for that to come. And until then, uh, see you later, cinephiles. Bye-bye. And that was part two of Brian Baru, Emperor of Ireland on Fireside. And I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, this was positively, this is feudal, this is feudal politics now. This is middle age politics. This is real, almost Wars of the Roses, Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire type crack here. So I hope it was uh, comprehensible. Uh, but I am gonna. I'll go through it now and kind of just clear it up for my own head as much as anything else. So we have Brian as Emperor of or as King of Munster, and male Shocknell Macdonald is King is the High King of Ireland, which yes was a high, was a symbolic 
position up until this point, really. And so Brian wants this position, which he really has no claim for at all. And so he starts tying up all these loose ends, fighting more and more. But it is, it's fascinating that it is through politics, as always. It is through this incredibly incestuous line. Like, first of all, you have the fact that Brian marries his his daughter to the son of the man who killed his Brian's own brother, who Brian had also killed. So you got that right from the off. But definitely the most fascinating figure of of this is Gormfla, who we will hear more about in in part three because she is not at all done meddling in Brian's affairs. So Gormfla was the sister of the King of Leinster, male Morda, which whenever I hear, I can only think of uh, the spell in Harry Potter, which summons the Dark Mark. I can't remember what it exactly is, but it basically sounds like Mel Morda. Literally, the exact this guy's exact name, which means I'll always remember his name, and now you will too. Uh, you may remember the films David Tennant, Barty Crouch Jr. casts it at the Tri Wizard Cup or the Quidditch World Cup. I do do beg your pardon. So Gormfla is Mel Morda's sister and he's king of Leinster they are both Irish and yet Gormfla had previously been married to a Norse king they have a child which is just the absolutely deliciously wonderfully named Citric Silkbeard yep Citric is he's a character I've talked a good bit about in uh, in walking tours and historical tours and and the like, because Citric Silkbeard built Christchurch Cathedral, probably out of wood at the time, because so little has survived of it of that time. But so his name gets thrown around Dublin, about the Dublin tourist industry quite a lot. And it's just a name, again, you'd never forget. Vikings have such incredible names and such incredible nicknames. Arva the Boneless, Sigurd Snake in the Eye, Ragnar Lothbrook, like... Wonderful, wonderful visual, grotesque names. But I think Citric Silkbeard has to be one of the top ones. And so Citric is more Irish than he is Norse. Even his Norse father would have been in Ireland for so long that he would have been considered this Hiberno-Norse. More Irish than the Irish themselves, as they came to be known. And yet Citric considers himself very much a Viking king of Dublin. And it shows the pride of, in their heritage that these these Norsemen did have. But so Gormfla is his mother, and Brian defeats Melmorda and Citrig, and then marries Gormfla. So Brian Gormfla becomes Brian's third wife. I think he's her second husband. He lets Citrig continue to be king of Dublin, which is a decision he probably will regret and marries another one of his daughters to Citrix. So you have this incredible web of of incestuous politics, all just to, cons- to consolidate rule. Because, you know, you can just keep hacking and slashing and killing and fighting these battles and these armies and these wars, 
but it's through these marriages. I mean, look, I mentioned briefly Wars of the Roses there, which as much as I'd love to go into the nitty gritty details of, there isn't the time or it isn't the place. And I'm not really the expert either. But that you have, that was a war that was fought over the course of over a hundred years across several, several kings and fought between these two houses of York and Lancaster or Stark and Lannister as they're adapted to in, in A Song of Ice and Fire. But after over a hundred years of wars and deposition and rebellions, the thing that ended the Wars of Roses was Henry Tudor defeating Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth Field, becoming Henry VII. Uh, but never mind defeating Richard III, Henry VII then married, Henry VII of Lancaster then married Elizabeth of York of House, uh, of House York, joining the Red Rose of Lancaster and the White Rose of York, which made the Tudor Rose, and that ended the Wars of the Roses. So history has only taught us time and time again that it is through political marriages and arrangements that wars are ended and power is really consolidated. And so with Brian, because he is a real figure, but he is a figure of such lofty acclaim that he at times feels more mythological than any of the fairies. And yet he was a real person and he did do a significant amount of the things that he's claimed to do. That's probably what I've been most surprised about when I've been looking at researching Brian properly. I was expecting to find more and more things that weren't true about him, like the very common misconception that it was him who just defeated the Vikings, when we can see by the fact that his own son-in-law now is a Viking it shows how complex and not the full story that is. But I'm finding more and more the more I discover that he really is all that and more. He really was this incredible, incredible figure, this incredible warrior, and but this incredible politician and who made a real position out of something that was basically a myth, this role of high king of Ireland. It was a it was a pagan custom and it was it was symbolic, you know, it wasn't it wasn't someone who actually ruled over everything. But I have to say I as my sources continue to be for this, the great courses books, uh audiobooks on the Vikings and the a Short History of Ireland in 240 episodes on uh, BBC, on BBC Northern Ireland, which is also an audiobook I've had for a couple of years. I love it so much. They're like these little bite-sized chunks. I think uh, Dr. Jonathan Barden is the name of the, the guy who put that together. But I uh, wanted to find myself out, because there's, of course, lots of books written about Brian Baru, so I wanted to try and find myself one of those. And... I found a great little ad. It's called Brian Baru, A Life from Beginning to End. It actually doesn't say who wrote it, but it's from a it's from a series called Hourly History, where they're very short books and they all only take about an hour to read. I think they all are, I think, or at least most of them are on Irish history. I think it is an Irish thing. But yeah, it's it's actually just an hour life start to finish, and it was great to just see it through line because I knew the bits and I'd been reading a lot of stuff online but it was a great through line very clear very well written I just picked it up picked it up on the the Kindle Kindle store and just read it on my iPad and yeah it was read in under an hour 
but it was uh, that's where a lot of this episode particularly came from from this beginning to end and it's it, it really because because the political alliances and especially the fact that when you have male Shocknell MacDonald, who is descended from male Shocknell MacRooney, who defeated Turgays, and he is the High King of Ireland. But then you've got uh, male Shocknell something else or male, male Mortha, the King of Leinster. So you've got a couple of males, you know, uh, spelled M-A-E-L, Ascaga. And... So that's and then of course all of these marriages and these children and these alliances, it's all a lot and it's very complicated. And again, I'm not a historian; I am a storyteller. So a storyteller's job is trying to, to distill and to just pluck characters and storyline out and try and make a story as clear as water from it. And I hope I was able to do that in some sense. But this this book and books like this have been a huge help for that to find the clearest path through the woods and I'm really enjoying it it's great it's, it feels like a different part of the brain doing this doing this stuff as we move more into the historical element while still feeling very rooted in the mythology like you have this this cutting down the, that was probably the best detail I got from this book was the cutting down of the, the sacred oak I hadn't encountered that before that Mel Shocknell commits you know, we, we've heard a lot about the Hill of Tara as the seat of the High King and as the ancestral place of the Tua de Danon. But here we have, outside Kilcaro, where uh, the Dal Cash hail from, another inauguration site, which I didn't know about. And we have this sacred tree here, which also reminds us of Yggdrasil, the sacred ash tree in Norse mythology. And it all just, it all just echoes and ties in real nicely together, doesn't it? So I'm going to wrap things up there because we're out of time. But I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, we've got one more part of Brian Baru, and I'm very excited for where we're going to go next as well. Let me know what you're thinking. Contact me at Fireside Bard on Instagram or on Twitter at Fireside Bard. Uh, please do continue to... Yes, uh, get in touch with me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you want to get in touch and you don't have social media. Subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast. Big thank you to Alan Paddy here at Headstuff, to Jamie, my producers, continuing to edit this podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you go and wherever you are, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.